This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. From the Fox News Podcast Network, I'm Dana Perino, and everything will be okay. Welcome back to another episode of Everything Will Be Okay. This week, I'm joined by a true cowgirl and the 1973 Miss Rodeo America. Pam Minnick is rodeo royalty and the co-host of Gentle Giants TV, a show that explores the world of draft horses from the farm to the arena. Pam also owns the infamous Billy Bob's Texas with her husband, Billy, and the pair are pillars in the rodeo community, and their relationship is very inspiring. Pam has remained true to her roots and maintains her good old Western lifestyle. Pam Minnick, welcome to the Everything Will Be Okay podcast. Everything will be okay. Thanks for having me. So we met in Texas at the Cattle Raisers Association, and you facilitated a conversation with me on stage, and I thought we better turn the tables here. Well, I have to tell you, people are still talking about your appearance in Texas. They really? loved you. I was I was at a luncheon when a lady came up to me and, and brought it up, and I said, well, ironically, I'll be talking to Dana later. She uh, was very much impacted, and I'll tell you later if you want to know exactly what your most, uh, I guess, prized topic for her was. Oh, no, let's go. let's do it now. Well, she said, you know, you one of the things we talked about is what's uh, the best advice you've gotten or that you mm -hmm. could give. And you said, be the most well-read person in the room or be mm -hmm. well-read when mm -hmm. be prepared, in other mm -hmm. words. And she said that at that event, she texted her daughters and said, let this be if I take nothing else from this entire week at the conference, uh, take this away from it. So oh, uh, I love that person in the room. So good job, you. Yeah, we talk a little bit about that on this podcast, because a lot of this is about the best advice I've been given, but I don't have all the answers. And people who are always looking to do a little self improvement, um, will come here to listen to people like you to just add to their arsenal. And the point about being prepared for me, when I say to be the most well read person in the room, really came from when I worked on Capitol Hill or even at the White House because I, I kind of had a little bit of uh, an education inferiority complex. I got a four-year degree and then a graduate degree, which is great, right? Of course, that's great. But that was at um, pretty small places, University of Southern Colorado, U University of Illinois Springfield. And most of the people that I worked with in D.C. had gone to what you would... I guess, consider schools with better reputations or Ivy League Ivy, schools. Ivy League schools, right. And I was always really, I, I guess, I just had this inferiority complex about it. But I had power because I definitely had read more than everybody in the room, always. And then I came to sort of have that reputation so that people might turn to me for information, and information is power. And even as you're working your way up, you know, maybe you'll be 
one of the only young women in a room full of much more experienced people, usually men, um, you know, in, in Washington at the time. That's not the case anymore. But at the time earlier on, like in 1995, six, seven, when I was first there, if you are the most well-read person in the room, you feel more confident and then people will come to you and you don't have to lord it over other people. Never do that. But if everyone else knows that you're the most well-read person in the room, you have power from that. And I think that the key word that you hit on there was confidence. Mm-hmm. Let's go back a little bit, because I have to tell you, in preparing for this, I thought that you were born into ranching. I find out no. that is not the case. <laughs> and so can you talk about your childhood and how you ended up becoming the Pam Minnick we know today? Well, I grew up in Las Vegas, which ironically at the time um, was not such a rodeo capital, um, but it has it is now because it hosts the National Finals Rodeo and has for the last, I guess, 30 years. But um, I grew up in Las Vegas. My parents, to the day they passed away, never rode a horse. But they indulged us. And like most little girls, I can't say all little girls, but I would say most little girls at one time in their life say, I want a pony or I want a horse. And um, and they bought when I was nine and my sister was seven, they bought two horses for $300 a piece. And, um, and and that was a big investment. Really? That was a big investment for people that really didn't even know. And we didn't know what we were getting into, but it, that's the type of life I've led. And I felt like when you and I uh, first met, that a lot of your path has been that way too. It wasn't about what was planned. It was about what was put in front of us and not being afraid to say, okay, I'll try it. Mm -hmm. So we said we wanted a horse. My parents bought us each a horse. We knew nothing. We didn't even have a saddle. And the day that the horses were delivered, we didn't even have a corral. My dad's out there in the hard caliche in Las Vegas digging post holes so we could build a corral that night. And my sister and I had to be a part of that. And I think that doing it that way and learning, you know, through the school of hard knocks um, gave us such an appreciation, gave me especially, you know, the you you were committed. And um, so from there, I joined 4-H and 4-H was an example for me for the rest of my life. I still speak at 4-H groups because- Can you tell people what 4-H is in case they're not familiar? 4-H is an agricultural, um, actually it's it's more than just agricultural. They have um, homemaking, they have, you know, jams and jellies, but it's, people have probably heard more about FFA, Future Farmers of America, but the 4-H is health, hands, heart. Gosh, now you're putting me on the spot no, I'll get here. it. You'll have to find that for me. Um, but in 4-H, they have different things. You can you can show pigs, you can show lambs, you can have sewing, you can have home you know homemaking like jelly and jams and anything that pertains to basically agriculture and and really what our life is all about. Uh, 4-H prepares you for. So they have a lot of different 4-H clubs that are different disciplines, and I happen to join the horse. Uh, club. And so with my $300 horse, a few years later, I became a champion at the end of the year in all eight events on a on a statewide level (laughs) with a horse that really didn't know much, but I didn't know anything either. And I didn't know enough to be scared to try. And I think that that's, you know, now I'm my next birthday, I'll be 70. And I, I still 
take new challenges every single day because I'm too silly to say I'm scared. <laughs> it's head, heart, hands, and health. Thank you. Yes. Head, heart, hands, When it's and four health. things, it's very difficult. Even three things is difficult sometimes for somebody like the former governor of Texas. Remember Rick Perry? But it, yes. forgot. <laughs> we forgot the, or maybe it was a fourth that he couldn't remember, but a four, always remembering four is difficult. The other thing yes. 4-H and FFA do, it's a little bit like maybe Girl Scouts meets Rotary Club or, yes. uh, or future business leaders of America, because you also learn to gain confidence. Confidence, public speaking, mm -hmm. responsibility. Anytime you're dealing, especially with livestock, uh, you've got such a sense of responsibility. And I think it just, if you, you and I have had this conversation, if you want to feel good about where the world is headed in agriculture, especially, look up a FFA child or a FFA chapter mm -hmm. because those kids, they know how to go to work. In fact, I was listening to a speech the other day from somebody at uh, at the School of Agriculture at Texas A&M, and they said that when they're hiring, if a person comes in and has agricultural experience or FFA experience, they will definitely get one more leg up in the uh, recruitment process because they know that that is a person that's had to get up early, mm -hmm. stay late, doesn't, doesn't know anything about punching a clock, and has to uh, the responsibility of an animal, even if it's a dog, when you have something that you have to care for, it it makes you accountable. Yeah. You mentioned the National Finals Rodeo. And that's really the only uh, one of the only places that my family will goes to every year uh, as a commitment. But and I remember my grandparents didn't travel a lot when uh, from the ranch because they had so much responsibility to, to care for the beating hearts that lived on the ranch. Exactly. And they can't feed themselves, no. you, know, the, and, you know, unless they're turned out in a pasture with adequate food and water. But most, you know, most domesticated horses in this day and age are in a pen where you have to take care of them. And and that's what that's my husband. and I, I mean, we we always say, oh, we should take this vacation or we should take that vacation. But then you've got to make sure that somebody takes care of your your four legged family. Right. It's not like feeding a fish. <laughs> no, you don't just put it in the, Although even fish take responsibility. This is true. We'll be right back with more of this interview after this. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. So you become a champion at rodeo and that one of your best events was barrel racing, which is not an easy an event at all. This You are an athlete. And was there a mentor or a coach along the way that you would point to as somebody that really made a difference in your life? You know, I was thinking about that when I was contemplating what we might be talking about. And at the time that I graduated in high school in 1971, I don't even ever recall hearing the word mentor. You know, we talked about role models and, and people that helped, but, you know, you, you didn't even think about it at that time. And to be honest with you, so much of it was just the equine community, um, because the great thing about that 
community and it goes to ranching and um and rodeo and even horse shows that people want to see you succeed and you're really not competing against them and bull riders you see that when you go to the rodeo you'll see that camaraderie one cowboy will tell another cowboy what the bull does or what the horse does or what the calf does because they're really not competing against that athlete they're they're, it's it's a it's a dance between them and the livestock they've drawn so everybody wants to see you succeed so for me in barrel racing primarily my 4-h leader Uh, because obviously I couldn't, you know, I couldn't depend on my parents, although, you know, they provided me with the, with the, the fertile ground, which was the horse. It was up to me from that point on. They were the ones that hauled me to, you know, different gymkanas and, and rodeos and junior rodeos. But, um, but it was a lot of trial and error. And now the kids of today in everything, not just in rodeo, but have so many resources, you know, they've got Google, they've got mm-hmm. YouTube videos. Um, you know, for us, you just went and you paid your entry fee and you didn't do good. And somebody would point out to you how you might shave some seconds off. But yeah, f- fast forward, I became the Nevada State High School Rodeo Barrel Racing Champion. And the year after that, I won the Nevada Cowboys Association Rookie of the Year, which was given to the man or woman who won the most amount of money in that association in their in their rookie year and that was the first time that a woman had won the rookie of the year title and um when i look back these aren't things i set goals for they're just things that happened because i wasn't as scared to try it and you became the youngest ever miss rodeo america in 1973 so then what was your next year like my year as Miss Rodeo America was a whirlwind of appearances. And it, and the crazy thing about that is that for a lot of ladies kind of go down that pageant path. Um, mine was more of a dare because I looked at myself as a cowgirl. I didn't look at myself as cute or a beauty queen or even so much as a lady, to be honest with you. But... I had observed the Miss Rodeo America pageant and I was kind of maybe making a teenager's smart aleck remark. And the gentleman that I I worked after school riding horses for a gentleman exercising his horses. And when I made my 17 year old smart aleck remark about rodeo queens, he said, if you think it's easy, why don't you try? So that following May, I entered the Miss Helderado pageant, which was our Las Vegas rodeo. And I won that. And then three months later, I was at the State Fair in Nevada and won the Miss Rodeo Nevada pageant. And two months after that, I won Miss Rodeo America. So I wasn't um, I wasn't a very rehearsed girl, which I think worked to my advantage because mm-hmm. you can always tell when people have a uh, an answer that they've practiced way too many times. And so um, so that's that's what led me to be in Miss Rodeo America. And then that year was a whirlwind. I mean. I don't think I'd been on many planes before that year. And I immediately from uh, I was crowned in Las Vegas and I went to the National Finals Rodeo the next week in Oklahoma City. That was when it was held there. Um, from there, you know, comes the holidays and then you start off the year in Denver uh, before I knew oh, it. Yeah, I at was the stock show at the stock show in Denver in yep. January. And it was. I don't understand. I always was very frustrated as a kid. We we always went to the stock show. I never understood why it was a January. It was so cold. And all the big stock shows are January, February, and March. Why it's is that? Crazy. I I 
I wish I knew. I because guess calving season happens, I guess maybe it's before calving season. So yeah, for for the I most guess. part, you know, a lot of calving happens in March and April, and mm-hmm. you know, because all the kids, you're right, they have to be out of school, and now that they've got those strict restrictions, it was used to be no big deal. You take off two weeks from school. Now the the Department of Education doesn't like that. But one of my fun events was going to New York City. Um, I was on the To Tell the Truth show. You might remember that. And Mm -hmm. they've resurrected it a few times since 1973. But walking down the street in New York City with my crown and my banner on that says (laughs) Miss Radio America, you got a few looks. It was long before Yellowstone and people were that comfortable wearing boots and and cowboy hats. But I had to take three outfits to... um, to New York City and the other two girls that were part of the panel, you know, or the imposters, I had to give them a two day crash course in what questions they might be asked as a rodeo queen. And um, and so those were the, the, the golden days of the to tell the truth show. Then Squeeze Parquet Liquid Margarine had just come out and they had a deal with the Miss Rodeo America pageant. And they had me go all over the U.S. um, cooking with Squeeze Parquet Liquid Margarine as though that's what a rodeo queen does. Parquet, it's not butter. (laughs) It's not butter. Was that what it said? Parquet, it's not butter. Was that the tagline? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Let me ask you about the transition then to you becoming one of the owners, a co-owner of what is one of the most successful concert venues for, for a small business out there, Billy Bob's. Well, that, that became later, later in my life, I've, <laughs> a few different lifetimes. Um, so after Miss Rodeo America, I lived in Arizona for, for a while. I had met my, my husband, Billy, um, who is not Billy Bob, but he worked at Billy Bob's. Um, but I had met my husband, Billy. He was a rodeo producer. He had gone to the NFR as a bull rider back in the 60s. And then I met him in 73 when I was Miss Rodeo America. But we didn't reconnect until 1983. Oh, Actually, wow. Really? Yeah. In 1982, I came here to do a TV show at the Coliseum the historic Coliseum that's adjacent to to Billy Bob's. And I was doing a TV show and he walked out the back door of Billy Bob's and it was kind of like one of those Baywatch slow motion scenes. And he <laughs> comes out the back door and I said to this girl, who is that? And um, and it turned out she said, oh, that's Billy Linick. And I said, oh, I've met him before. So we connected and I moved to from Arizona to Texas and we will celebrate our 40th anniversary. Oh, tell everybody what he got you for your anniversary. He got me a new horse. That was a surprise. <laughs> and I really didn't need a new horse. What um, did you name the horse? Well, his registered name is Pepe La Smooth. <laughs> his his barn name is Slate because he was bred and raised at the Slate River Ranch. Mm-hmm. And um and I'm still thinking of a better barn name for him because Slate doesn't just really roll off your tongue. Mm-hmm. And I'm gonna be honest with you, I have I have not r- quite adjusted to this new horse because I have plenty and it's a commitment. I try to ride my horses every single day. And um, when you put one extra horse in, that means almost, you know, that's 45 minutes or an extra hour. And I'm not complaining about it by any means. I'm just saying I'm having to readjust just a bit. Oh, I love that. Talk about but health. Anyway, so, that's what, how so, healthy is that? But yes, let's go back to Billy Bob. Yeah. So, um, so Billy was at Billy Bob's because Billy Bob's has real bull riding inside the nightclub. No way. For those of you, that I got to bring the five what, there. 
for those of you that don't know what Billy Bob's is, imagine a giant Walmart that is a bar. So in one corner, there's a restaurant. In the other corner, there's a bull riding ring. On the far end, there's one stage where the headliner is. On the other stage, there's a dance band. And there's in between 40 bar stations. And, um, you know, so there's never an excuse to not to not have a beverage. The capacity is 6,000 people. Um, so we, we do well. And um, so then he was there at Billy Bob's and the gentleman, Billy Bob Barnett, that had that had owned it and hired Billy in the first place had gone bankrupt and we put together a partnership and bought it out of bankruptcy. And so we've been the owner since 1989. And you had, is this a special anniversary for the tavern? The club this year is 42, just celebrated its 42nd anniversary. Mm -hmm. Um, It it opened on April 1st of 1981. And the reason that they selected April 1st, because it was a massive undertaking to take this old historic building. The building was built in 1910 as a cattle barn and renovated into this, um, into Billy Bob's Texas. Um, Over the course of, of 100 years, it had become from a cattle barn to an airplane manufacturing plant, to a department store, but when they opened Billy Bob's, Billy Bob Barnett set the date of April first in case they for the grand opening. In case they didn't get it done, he could just call it an April. <laughs> and they, do you run marketing? Done. I did the marketing there for thirty five years, wow. and um, and I just retired a year ago, January. I say retired. I mm-hmm. still go in almost. Oh, at least once a week, just to make sure the girls are doing their job. But um, but it's. It's like not ever having a job. Everything I've done in my life has been like not having a job because, for example, Billy Bob's is a place that people go for fun. Um, doing my television shows is is something that's just really fun because I'm, you know, getting to travel and, and bring people joy. So that's, you know, one of, one of the secrets to my life is, you know, finding something you love to do so much that people will pay you for it. And you also um, have done and continue to do I, I i believe announcing for sport like sport a sports announcer for the rodeos and you were i believe you were the first woman to ever do that for the rodeo yes i was and in fact um the biggest rodeo i did was at the houston astrodome which is now reliance center but sixty thousand people at a live sporting event is is a bit intimidating but um especially in the sport of rodeo which occasionally has some a little bit of backlash from people that really don't understand the sport and a lot of animal rights activists. When you've got a woman explaining it, sometimes that's that's a, a softer touch. More to come right after this. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped. Streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. And tell me a little bit more about Gentle Giants. Uh, Mr. Joe Ricketts, you might know the Ricketts family. Mm -hmm. Yes, Mr. Ricketts is a big fan of draft horses. In fact, uh, so he uh, had called RFD TV, gosh, it's been 12 years ago, I guess, and said to Mr. Gotch, they're both from Omaha, 
said, uh, you need to do a television show on draft horses. So Mr. Gotch called me, the owner of the network, and he said, can you produce a show on draft horses? And what do you think I said? Of course, I said yes. I knew nothing about draft horses, and I know now, 12 years later, that they are a lot different than quarter horses. And I'm sure your family there in Wyoming will tell you the same thing. But I said yes, and um, the way that Mr. Ricketts got involved, he went to the Denver Stock Show one day, and he heard that six-horse hitch with those six powerful horses just, you know, thundering into the arena with the harnesses jingling, jangling. And this is him describing it to me on trying to sell me on the idea. And he went home and he said, I've got to do this. And he invested heavily into a six horse hitch, which has won multiple championships. In fact, they just won the championship again this past uh, September in Indiana. Uh, But he was the one that came up with the idea of gentle giants and we don't only cover the six horse hitch industry, which is a lot If people want to visualize it. It's a lot like the Budweiser Clydesdales. It's those majestic horses pulling an, a historic freight line wagon. But we do stories like I went to uh, Arlington National Cemetery and did a story on the Quezon Platoon, which is right there at Fort Myers there in Virginia. Um, People may not know, but there's 62 horses stabled right there at Arlington National Cemetery, and they're all draft horses. So that's one of the episodes on Gentle Giants is covering those uh, draft horses that actually take America's heroes to their final resting place. Amazing. It's very interesting um, to hear your story uh, and to be inspired by it. And I wondered if you could talk a little bit also about how faith has informed your decision-making and giving you peace and encouragement over the years? Well, I just believe so strongly that everything that is in God's hands, and I'm not saying that I don't worry about things and I don't stress about situations, but I'm at peace if I just let it take its course. And I think that's why I've been bold enough to to try things because I don't think God wants us to fail. And um, and so it's such a, you know, my my faith is my life. I, I every morning I read um, Jesus Calling <laughs> just to just to reinforce uh, what what my day I have that, too. Like. I was given um, I was given a copy um, a few years ago with a leather bound copy with my name on it. And I sure love yes. it. And um, but I I just believe that that God wants us all to succeed. And and one of the things that that you brought up um, is civility. And I really believe that that uh, that being civil to people is part of God's plan, too. Um, I just don't know how we get that message out there more, more strongly. What about something you and I spoke about by email? There was an article that ran in The Atlantic in which it was really tough on small town America. But the headline was that rural America is failing its girls. And you and I had a discussion and it wasn't so much the agricultural community at all. That's not even mentioned. It was a smaller town and we won't have to go into that necessarily. But you said something very interesting that if you... You've mentioned it also here, the hope that you can find in the ag community across the country. And as people figure out, you know, maybe the big cities aren't for them and they want to move. What would you encourage them to think about as they 
perhaps make a radical life decision? Well, one of the things that I have found growing up and and possibly one of the reasons why I've been able to try so many things and and to reasonably succeed at 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 all of them, you know, that I may not have been prepared for. Obviously, my faith brought me into it, but most of them are are livestock related and livestock doesn't know whether you're a man or a woman, whether you're a champion or a beginner. Um, And I and so I think that being brought up in in that where you didn't where there wasn't any gender involved. So the places where they feel like women are being left left behind, it's because they're just not trying or they're not in the right place. But the agricultural community, the boys work just as hard as the girls right alongside the girls. And sometimes the girls kick their butts, not only in the rodeo arena, but also in the in the show pen with horses and cattle. And I think that it, it boils down to the fact that the livestock doesn't know the difference. But small towns, I think that a lot of times those kids never get out of of the what they're what they're used to. If they see if your goal is to get married right out of high school and have a baby by the time you're 20, that imprinting um you know that that's a challenge and I think that those girls have got to you know be exposed to something and set their goals higher. Mm-hmm. Contrarily, the kids in the agricultural world, they're too busy to get involved in bad things mm-hmm. or to be left behind. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's really interesting. And I appreciate that. I don't think I articulated that. You as did. Well as you you did. A part of it is that, you know, in mentoring, there's the saying that you have to see her to be her. And mm-hmm. one of the reasons I wrote the first book as well was to talk about that feeling of an inferiority because you grew up in a smaller place. And that it's absolute hogwash that, you You know, are just as valuable as anybody who grew up in a city and they might feel the same way about you. And it's that comparing yourself to other people rather than just being your best that can really hold you back. You know, and what you had said about a small town and um, or small colleges and and, you know, compensating for that by being the most well-read person in the room. I don't think there's ever been an occasion that I've gone into that I felt confident that I was going to succeed. Um, I just wasn't afraid to to try and to fail because I think it's Theodore Roosevelt that had that uh, saying about the critic and, you know, the to paraphrase it, it's, you know, credit should be given to the person that at least goes into the arena mm. because um, the only way that you fail is is to not to try in the first place. I think that's the right. I might be I might be mi- mixing up a lot of quotes, but I've never felt overconfident when I went. I won champion of champions last year at the quarter horse world show over wow. about 70 in my class. And it was only my second time to to compete at the world show. I didn't go in there with supreme confidence, but I did go in there prepared. And, um, you know, I, I was I knew that I when I left the arena, I left it all in the arena and it was up to the judges to determine. But what you were saying about, you know, small town places and being in a, in a small place, you just have to have the confidence without being cocky because mm-hmm. and not being afraid to fail. How do you deal with failure or disappointment? Because I know you win a lot, but you don't win all the time. I just think you have to try to do better. There's, um, I don't, I, I don't ever recall being sad that I that I 
didn't win a competition, I might kick myself for doing something wrong. But in the sports that I compete in, the equine sports, um, there's there's so many variables. And you've just got to be able to understand that, you know, in the roping, it's either, you know, the horse, the calf, the steer, your partner. There's so many variables. And then in, in the judged events, it's an opinion. Sometimes in the world show, there's five judges. They throw out the high score and the low score, and then they uh, tabulate the three middle scores. And the disparity between marking a 72 and a 78, the same pattern, five different sets of eyes. So you've just got to, you know, that was something I had to learn just to be able to swallow that and understand that it's just somebody's opinion. What might be next for you? Is there something on your list that you've that you'd like to do that hasn't been done yet? Oh, people t- ask me that all the time because I kind of have a little bit of I want to do this, this and this. I have a pilot's license. There's, you know, if I think I want to do it. So there's two things that I haven't done that I want to do, but I haven't attempted it yet. One is to learn how to engrave silver. I just think that's such a beautiful lost art. Mm-hmm. And I know that that's random and out there, but I'm I'm going to do that. I'm going to go to a, a silver engraving thing. And then I told somebody on a podcast recently that challenged me. I said, I'm going to get my CDL, my commercial driver's license, so I can drive a, a even bigger truck than what I have. I know those are very shallow goals, but... but those what, are wonderful but every, goals. But every day I have, uh, you know, just... Uh, a lot of things that I, I want to do before 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 I die with zero. Yes. <laughs> nice callback. Uh, indeed. Well, Pam Minnick, I had one last question. Did you ever see the slam poetry done about you? Yes. I have. <laughs> <laughs> so my publisher and editor, uh, Sean Desmond, when he saw that you and I were together in Texas, he sent me this link to the slam poetry, and I'm going to ask our producers to um, add that in here, um, and we'll give you a little taste of it. The world is a better place with you in it, Pam Minnick. If you had a cold, I'd go to the drugstore and pick you up some triominic, Pam Minnick. You got the skill to spray the ball around to all fields like Tony Gwinnick, Pam Minnick. I would never let Ted Kennedy drive you to Chapel Quiddick, Pam Minnick. What, where did that come from? How did that come to be? I loved it. So when I first started doing um, television in rodeos, it was back in the 70s. And then in 1980, they said they were going to start this uh, sports network that was going to be on 24 hours a day. And everybody said, oh, you can't fill 24 hours a day with sports. So at the time they did things like lawnmower racing and they did a lot of rodeos because rodeo wasn't on TV that a lot. There wasn't a lot of rights fees involved. So we did a lot of rodeos on TV and, and a lot of my, I wasn't that experienced at the time, let's face it, but a lot of my co-hosts weren't either. And so the, when they started resurrecting a lot of these old, um, sports on tv with it's the sklar brothers Mm -hmm. Uh, they did this show called cheap seats where they literally went back 20 years into the archives of espn and recalled every crazy show from lawnmower racing to rodeos and they just kind of became obsessed with me to the point where when instagram was launched they 
had my Instagram, Pam Minnick, the Sklar Brothers did. <laughs> Wow. So I had to become Pamela Minnick on Instagram. My favorite line was that they rhymed your name with triaminic, which is one of yes. my favorite medicines from my childhood. <laughs> and Chappaquiddick. Yes, Chappaquiddick. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely fantastic. And I'm glad you have such a good sense of humor. And I'm so glad to know you. And I'm going to take the five to your place down there. And I'm going to get Greg Gutfeld on that bull riding. Let's do that. I'm sending a note to the producer right after this. Perfect. Pam Minnick, thank you. It's a pleasure, and I know our paths will cross again soon. Indeed. Thank you. It was a joy for me to get to know Pam, and I have a new friend, and that means a lot to me. Make sure you subscribe to this series wherever you download podcasts. Leave a rating and review. I'm Dana Perino. Everything will be okay. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts, and Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, in these ever-changing times, you can rely on Fox News for hourly updates for the very latest news and information on your time. Listen and download now at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Listen to Fox News Podcast shows ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or follow wherever you get your podcasts.